Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebold, the President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gildas Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the U.S. and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, we'll be talking about the toxic connection between chemicals and a cancer diagnosis, a scary trend that is affecting Americans today. Experts are finding that many of these chemicals are found in everyday household products that were once deemed safe by industry leaders. Now, however, they're leading to concerning connections between them and many illnesses, uh, including cancer. To get a better sense of our topic, let's take a quick look at the, the history of the issue. Um, as chemicals have become even more pervasive in our society, Government studies show that hundreds of synthetic chemicals are in the bodies of all Americans. They are even present in newborn infants due to exposure in the womb coming from their mothers during pregnancy. We know that this issue of toxic chemicals and specifically its relationship with a cancer diagnosis is in many ways only in the beginning stages, and scientists are starting to understand how synthetic chemicals can have a direct effect on our health and the health of our planet. So on today's show, we'll work to provide you with an informative uh, overview of the topic, including what products, chemicals, and toxins are harmful and how they are being linked to health issues. Uh, We'll also delve into the policy aspect of the issue of chemicals and cancer to learn about what the government and nonprofits are doing to protect Americans as well as what regulations are still needed. We'll also talk to a breast cancer survivor who's taken her diagnosis as a catalyst to reforming many of these laws. And finally, our experts will give you, the listener, real-life tips on how to avoid many of these toxins and make your home and surroundings safe for you and your family. So today, we bring together leaders for greater insight into this issue and how it affects you uh, directly. We hope they'll answer some of the many questions we have about what's safe and what you can do to protect yourself. And, And as a reminder, if you have specific concerns about a connection between a toxic product, either in your home or your workplace, and it's potential effect on your health, we do recommend that you talk to your physician. Uh, first on the show today, I want to welcome Gina Solomon, the Senior Scientist at the Natural Resources Defense Council, 
for the past 15 years. She is also the Associate Clinical Professor of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. She is a graduate of Yale Medical School and specifically studies mercury and lead poisoning. Recently, she has been in local communities in the New Orleans area after Hurricane Katrina in an effort to identify toxic contaminants. Thank you for being here, Dr. Solomon. I'm happy to be here. We're also here with Daryl Dietz, Senior Policy Advisor in the Chemical Program at the nonprofit Center for International Environmental Law in Washington, D.C. Over the past 25 years, he has worked at the state, federal, and international levels on a range of environmental issues, including chemicals management, pollution prevention, and public right to know. Daryl is the author of numerous publications and co-editor of two books, Frontiers of Sustainability and Green Ledgers, Case Studies in Corporate Environmental Accounting. Glad you're with us, Daryl. Thank you, Kim. Glad to be here. And finally, we have Marika Holmgren, a breast cancer survivor and environmental activist. Marika spent many years as an environmental advocate and grassroots organizer prior to starting her own event production firm. She's the current acting president of the Board of Forest Ethics, an organization which catalyzes environmental leadership among industry, governments, and communities. Welcome, Marika. Thanks for having me. So, Dr. Solomon, I want to start with you. Uh, I know we're, we're really trying to get educated on the issue today. I want to get some general information um, and, and, and some baseline information on our listeners around what we're, you know, we're talking about today. So let's start from the top. What chemicals, what kinds of chemicals are we referring to here, and what should our listeners be, be concerned about and learn about? There are a lot of different chemicals that have been linked to cancer, and chemicals can cause cancer in a lot of different ways. For example, some chemicals cause cell mutations, and when cells mutate, they can either die or, in some cases, become cancerous. Uh, examples of chemicals that cause mutations are benzene, which is in gasoline, um, and uh, PAHs, which are uh, were a big problem after the Gulf oil spill and uh, come from petroleum products. Other chemicals are um, ones that can promote cell growth. Um, Hormone-mimicking chemicals, like estrogenic chemicals, can promote growth of breast cancers. Um, And a good example of a chemical that's in that category is bisphenol A, which is in certain types of plastics and food can linings. And then the third category of chemicals to be concerned about are ones that interfere with the immune system's ability to fight cancer. A good example of an immune-suppressing chemical is dioxin, which is uh, unfortunately a contaminant in certain foods that we eat. There are lots, though, of other chemicals that we might need to be concerned about, but they haven't been tested. So we don't know for sure um, what many chemicals that are out there do and whether they might be a cancer concern. So all the chemicals that you've talked about today, we know scientifically the evidence shows that they have a negative impact on health. There are hundreds of chemicals that have been tested and that have been shown to be health problems um, that are known from animal studies or from studies in humans um, to cause a variety of health effects ranging from cancer to neurological damage, immune system dysfunction, or hormone disruption. Um, but that's, you know, we may only be looking at the tip of the iceberg because of the untested chemicals that are in widespread use. 
So, Dr. Solomon, tell us what we know about the link between some of these chemicals and cancer. What is the, 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 the you know, the research telling us about the potential link between between chemicals and cancer? Well, let's take uh, bisphenol A as an example because it's been in the news quite a bit lately. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting chemical because um, it was discovered in the 1930s and was considered for use as an estrogenic drug. Um, it, it failed as a drug because it was too toxic, but somehow uh, chemists discovered that it was a very effective building block for plastic. And uh, as a result, it's become widespread in various different kinds of plastic products. Uh, for many years, it was used in clear plastics like uh, water bottles and baby bottles. Uh, fortunately, I'm happy to say that use is being phased out. Uh, and um, it's now a, mostly a problem because it's used in the lining of food cans. And although it's been known to be estrogenic, uh, which is in and of itself a problem, the newer research also shows that it causes precancerous changes, especially when um, exposure occurs before birth. And early life exposures, uh, and these studies are mostly from laboratory animals. We, we still don't have all the human uh, studies yet, though some of them are coming out now. Um, are showing that uh, you know that, that early developmental exposures to chemicals that mimic hormones like bisphenol A can set the stage for cancer development many many years or decades later. Um, the other thing that's sort of interesting about bisphenol A is several studies have shown that it can interfere with the ability of uh, cancer treatment drugs to work effectively. This includes some chemotherapy drugs and tamoxifen. So there's a a kind of a multiple whammy effect from some of these chemicals where they uh, set the stage for cancer, promote the growth of cancer, and may even interfere with cancer medication. So, Dr. Solomon, I just want to drill down just a little bit more on on some of these issues. I I, I think what's so interesting is that, um, you know, this sounds like a a serious concern that's emerging, and yet I know my doctors never talked about this. This has never come up. Um, Are, are, you know, is the medical community being educated on this? Are are doctors being educated on how to talk to their patients um, about some of these chemicals, how to avoid some of these chemicals? what the uh, potential impact is? As someone who spent a good portion of my career working on educating the medical community, I can, I can uh, attest to what a, a long road it is. Um, you know, when a doctor's seeing a patient in their office and the patient has cancer, for example, a lot of the focus is, okay, what do we do next? What, what treatments are most effective? What drugs should we use? How do we um, try to, to cure this patient? And I totally understand that, and I'm in that situation myself when I see patients. But, you know, it's so much more effective to prevent cancer than to treat it. And after a certain amount of time just trying to, you know, um, treat patient after patient, um, it, it just became clear to me that so many of these cancers may be preventable, and we can do things and, you know, recommend uh some lifestyle changes to people, but also policy changes, which can help protect people from developing cancer. 
I know we're going to get into some of those policy uh, concerns and opportunities uh, shortly. But before we go to the break here, Dr. Solomon, uh, how, so, so it seems to me that, that beyond the health impact, that these toxic chemicals could be contributing to cost of medical care, decreased productivity, um, and other, other societal costs that can be attributed to some of this chemical uh, exposure. It sounds like we're talking about a pretty big societal problem here. There is a multi-billion dollar price tag associated with uh, chemicals in the environment and disease, and this is just accounting for chemicals that are well understood. Chemicals like, you know, the effects of lead, um, mercury, and other well-studied chemicals, and there's still a difficulty quantifying the the price tag um, in uh, health costs associated with many of these other chemicals which haven't been well studied. It's a tough, um, tough issue to research because um, many chemicals have become so widespread in our environment and their effects are subtle and delayed. They don't manifest right away. Um, so it's difficult to say in, for an individual patient, was your cancer caused by this chemical or that chemical uh, or some combination of them? Um, and, and so, you know, what, what ends up happening is a, a somewhat silent epidemic of chemical-related disease mm-hmm. in our country. It's, it's, it's really it's a fascinating uh, topic, and as you said, Dr. Solomon, it seems like we're, you know we're only hitting the uh, the tip of the iceberg here in terms of what we know, what we understand. I imagine there there needs to be a lot more investment in research uh, around these issues. Uh, this is frankly speaking about cancer on the show today. We're talking about uh, the connection between chemicals and, and health, chemicals and cancer, and uh, trying to learn a little bit more about the issues. We're analyzing the data that is available to, uh, to us to understand the impact and perhaps what uh, changes we can make. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices. I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope 
and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Uh, We are talking today about the link between uh, chemicals and and health, particularly chemicals and a cancer diagnosis. Uh, I'm so pleased to bring Marika Holmgren into the conversation so that we can hear her story. Marika was diagnosed with stage 2 invasive ductal carcinoma uh, at age 37, that's breast cancer, and uh, has since used her diagnosis to catapult her environmental activism. She has become an advocate for stronger regulation around chemicals that are linked to an increased risk uh, of breast cancer. Marika, I'm so glad you're able to join us today. Um, Can we start, uh, can I start by asking you to share your own personal cancer story with our listeners when you were diagnosed, how your cancer was detected, and, and, and what the impact of that diagnosis has been on you and your family? Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Um, As you mentioned, I was diagnosed at age 37 um, with a fairly aggressive stage 2 invasive ductal carcinoma, which, as you said, is um, the more technical term for breast cancer. Um, I was not yet 40, so I wasn't yet undergoing regular mammograms, and Mm -hmm. I did, in fact, find the cancer on my own through breast self-exam. Um, because of the nature of my cancer and because of my age, um, I underwent a uh, quite a significant um, cadre of treatments. I underwent a total of six surgeries, including my reconstruction. Um, one of those surgeries was a bilateral mastectomy. Um, I went through eight rounds of um, aggressive dose-dense chemotherapy over a four-month period. Um, I went through 25 rounds of radiation um, after I'd had my bilateral mastectomy, um, and then I have uh, undergone four years of hormone therapy um, and three years of ovarian suppression, um, and it's very likely that I'll be doing um, some sort of treatment for many years to come, again, because my cancer was particularly aggressive, um, and because I was young, um, we are essentially doing everything we can to uh, really ensure that I don't um, go through a recurrence. Um, and I did not have uh, traditional risk factors for cancer. I was actually mm-hmm. a very active person. I was healthy. I was a non-smoker. Um, and we didn't have a family history of premenopausal breast cancer. Um, so it was, it was quite a surprise um, to be so diagnosed at that age. Pretty rare pretty rare scenario for sure. Exactly. So I, I, think, I think the technical term for what you've been through is uh, they, they put you through the ringer. It's not what the, <laughs> the medical, uh, <laughs> the that, medical that term. That sounds about right. <laughs> that sounds about right. You've been through quite a bit. So, so how did you first discover or become interested in the potential connection between chemical exposure and cancer? 
Well, you know, I, I had a history of working on environmental issues since I was probably about 22 or 23. I'd been working on forest issues, clean air, clean water, um, and I was already probably more aware than your average person mm-hmm. um, about the dangers that are presented by um, chemicals in our environment. Um, and I also live in the Bay Area where people do tend to be focused on both personal and public health. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, it really wasn't until I got sick that I started to really connect the dots between toxic chemicals and disease and disability. Um, That was something that, you know, when you're working on environmental issues that doesn't quite come into play, and you certainly don't think it's going to come into play in such a personal way. Um, So when I started looking around, I was looking for support for other young people who had who were going through a diagnosis. I, I didn't have any peers or any friends who were going through a diagnosis. And mm-hmm. I really, to be an anomaly, a 37-year-old woman with breast cancer, I didn't think there were that many of us. And I was shocked to find out how many young women are getting breast cancer. Um, yeah. and not only getting diagnosed with breast cancer, but dying from breast cancer. I think yeah. people tend to think that breast cancer is sort of under control and that breast cancer is an easy one to, you know, if you're going to get a yes. cancer, that's the one to get. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what I was seeing was these young women who didn't have risk factors who were not only getting the disease but dying from the disease. Um, and so that was um, really, really shocking to me, and I started um, – paying attention to what groups like the Breast Cancer Fund and Environmental Working Group were doing and started looking at these connections and, to be honest, was was honestly almost in disbelief to realize how many chemicals are out and about in our daily lives, um, you know, that we go to buy on the grocery store shelves that are linked to an increased risk of cancer. So, uh, Marika, so, you know, I'm sure a lot of our... Listeners today are thinking about, you know, this kind of cause and effect issue, right? And, and so obviously we don't know exactly what caused your cancer, mm-hmm. um, but I'm assuming through your own background, through this research, through this education, that you've perhaps made some changes in your life um, as a result of what you've been learning through this process. Can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, I think that we're still really learning all the various reasons somebody might get cancer, Um, and in my opinion, this is one of those things that we can probably control, so let's go ahead and start working on it. Um, And that's something that was uh, actually... At the same time, it was frustrating and scary. It was also empowering because I could look around and say, hey, you know what? I I use makeup. I use lipstick. I use eyeliner. Let's go ahead and make sure that I'm using the products that don't contain parabens, phthalates, sulfates. Um, So one of the first things I did um, after I got diagnosed and once I started learning about this was simply look around my house and look around at, wow, I'm, I'm using these products that um, contain these chemicals. We know they contain these chemicals. We know that there's an increased risk of cancer from using these chemicals. So let's go ahead and remove that. Um, And luckily, there are a lot of resources out there that make it um, somewhat easy to go ahead and make those changes. So um, in addition to some of the more obvious things, making sure I'm keeping up with exercise, making sure I'm being vigilant about scans, um, this is a piece that I've really tried to grab hold of and, and really tried to make those changes in my life and tried to recommend to my friends and family and, um, you know, now my friends who have young daughters really tried to recommend for them to do the same. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And I know we're going to, um, in, in just a few minutes, we're going to bring Daryl Dietz into the conversation to talk about uh, policy in the U.S. and some of the, the, the policy changes that are happening and how people can get involved in, um, in being advocates for further policy change around this. Um, but I just want to go back to Dr. Solomon for a minute. And, and um, Dr. Solomon, you know, if someone has been diagnosed with cancer, uh, you know, undergoing treatment, um, you know, how do they think about these issues? Why should this matter to them? There still seem to be so many question marks uh, around this. Should people who are being diagnosed with cancer be thinking about some of the kinds of changes that Marika's talking about? I hear stories um, like Marika's, um, unfortunately, far too often. Uh, young people who are being diagnosed with cancer who don't have um, a strong family history or the traditional risk factors. And a lot of folks are saying, well, why me? What's going on? And that's a very good question. I think people should be asking that question because mm-hmm. there are... Um, you know, if you if you look at what is known about cancer, um, such as breast cancer, it'll only explain a, a relatively small fraction of the disease. Mm-hmm. And so there's a big piece of the pie that is missing. And and in my view, that big piece of the pie has a lot to do with the environment. And even it, you know, if somebody already has cancer, some folks say, oh, well, the, you know, the horse is already out of the barn. Sure. But yeah. that's so not true because people who do have cancer, who are living with that diagnosis, are susceptible uh, for a lot of reasons. Their immune system may be suppressed because mm-hmm. of the treatment they're undergoing. They may be at high risk um, because of a genetic predisposition that makes it hard for them to metabolize certain chemicals. So... Um, this is an important time to think about, okay, you know, what, what can I change in my life, but also how can I contribute to, the, you know, to helping prevent other people from getting this disease? Yeah, you know, Marika, we're, we're going to go to the break in a couple minutes here, but um, you said you had two daughters? Oh, no, sorry, my friend's daughter's. Oh, your friend's daughter. Yes. So have you found that you've been getting out there um, with friends, with family, with others to try to educate them um, on these issues and to, uh, you know, almost to help impact the next generation around some of the choices that they're making? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that what I, what I find is um, how surprised people are when they find out that some of the products that we're using um, – some of the products that we're actually using, you know, on our bodies, lipstick, mascara, et cetera, they're very close to our bodies, um, that that they actually are not regulated the way that people assume that they are. I think there's this real misconception out there that if something is on the store shelves, that it has been vetted by somebody to be safe. Um, And, you know, when I tell people you can still find lipstick that contains lead in it, that Johnson & Johnson baby shampoo um, contains formaldehyde, although they're, you know, just committing to starting to phase that out, people are blown away. Their, their jaws drop when I tell them this information um, because, again, I think that there's this real idea that somebody's looking out for us. Um, and unfortunately, without strong regulation, that's just not the case. And people can find those products in, in, in a chemical-free format? Absolutely. I mean, the first thing that I do if I if I need to go buy a product, 
um, well, now I've educated myself enough that I can read the label and I know what to avoid. Um, but that takes time and it takes effort and, you know, we're all very busy. Um, and so an easier way to do it is simply to go to the Safe Cosmetics database and run your products through that, and they will actually give you on a scale of, I think it's 1 to 10, how hazardous the product is that you're considering buying. So, for example, And where can people find that database, Maria? They can find that at uh, Skin Deep. Mm-hmm. Or, excuse me, actually, let me get you the exact um, URL. I believe it's cosmeticsdatabase.org. Medics, M-E-D-I-C-S? Cosmetics. Cosmetics. Yes. Cosmeticsdatabase.org? .org. That's correct. It's the Skin Deep Cosmetics Database. And who runs that? Uh, that's through the Environmental Working Group. Great. Excellent. Um, it's we're an incredible tool. Great. All right. So um, get your pens out, folks, because we're going to come back and we're going to mention some of these resources uh, as well a little bit uh, later in the show. We're going to take a quick break uh, right here, but when we come back, we're going to bring Daryl Dietz into the conversation from the Center for International uh, Environmental Law to tell us what is happening on the policy front with regard to this issue. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health & Wellness. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. 
Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Thibodeau, and today we're talking about the connection between toxic chemicals and cancer. Earlier in the show, we talked to Dr. Solomon about the issue in general, chemicals uh, that are causing concern today, the uh, potential effects they're having on Americans' health. We also heard Marika Holmgren's story with uh, her own breast cancer experience and how she turned her diagnosis into becoming an advocate for stronger regulation around chemicals that are linked to increased uh, risk of breast cancer. Um, I'd now like to bring Daryl Dietz into the conversation. As we heard earlier, Daryl is the director of the chemical program at the Nonprofit Center for International Environmental Law in Washington, D.C. He's worked extensively on environmental issues and has been an active contributor to reforming U.S. policy on chemicals. Um, Daryl, after hearing from Dr. Solomon, I'm surprised uh, really how vulnerable Americans are based on uh, the chemical exposure that we've heard about and how we, you know, assume that things that are out there that are, are, are that they are on, if they're on the shelves, they're safe, they have been vetted, but we're learning that's not the case. Don't we have uh, laws in place to protect the public from this? Well, uh, it's a very good question, and the answer is both yes and no. Um, mm-hmm. We have laws on air pollution and water pollution, of course, uh, laws that regulate pharmaceuticals and pesticides, but the fundamental law at the federal level called the Toxic Substances Control Act, uh, nicknamed TOSCA for, uh, for short, um, it's simply not, uh, not effective and not protecting Americans from potentially dangerous chemicals. So wh- why not? Tell us why not. Yeah, well, the, the law was passed back in 1976, so it's, you know, it's uh, 35 years old now, and it mm-hmm. has two fundamental problems. Um, mm-hmm. First, the Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, has very little ability to require basic information, information like, does this chemical cause cancer? Um, does this build up in the body? Fundamental questions that anyone would need in order to regulate uh, a chemical. And secondly, even when EPA does have knowledge of the hazards of that chemical, it's nearly powerless to do anything about it. And the proof of that was from 20 years back when EPA uh, uh, developed regulations to ban asbestos from products, asbestos, a known carcinogen. And after years of effort and 40,000 pages of evidence, the courts threw it out and said, sorry, um, you didn't prove it to to the extent required by this law. So what is being done, Daryl? What is your organization doing? What are others doing so that we do have the laws in place to protect the public, so that we do update the, the TUSCA, the Toxic Substances Control Act, to make it relevant for today and to you know, protect Americans from exposure to toxic chemicals? Well, uh, again, very good question. The, uh, the fundamental problem here is the law that was written um, had these gaping loopholes in it, and mm-hmm. it, it didn't make sense then, and as evidence has come in from the health sector and and as we see other countries moving ahead it's quite clear that we have to change that law that means congress has to face this issue and and fix it um, we're part along with three hundred other organizations across the u.s. of a campaign called safer chemicals healthy families and you can find that online your listeners can find that at saferchemicals.org and that's a coalition of health groups, of environmental groups, of local groups, um, of uh, some businesses, and, and many other folks from all walks of life saying, let's fix this law, protect Americans from dangerous chemicals. 
So what are uh, so what are some of the goals of that coalition? I mean, what are specific things that could be uh, accomplished, Daryl, in some reasonable period of time to give consumers better protections? Right. Well, a necessary uh, piece of the puzzle is that we must make sure that there's basic information on the chemicals that are out in the marketplace. Uh, it's really inexcusable if you think about it. Uh, we would we wouldn't put pharmaceuticals on the market these days without some kind of prior testing. We wouldn't put pesticides on the market. And yet chemicals that can be just as um, dangerous in terms of human health um, are out there in consumer products of all kinds. And that's why we can open the headlines just about every week and see another story about parabens in cosmetics or BPA in uh, baby bottles, for example. Um, the, The the ultimate fix is to make sure that all chemicals pass through some kind of a review um, with scientifically legitimate data to back it up. Uh, and that's a process which is going to take some years to pull off, to kind of work our way through the, the, the literally tens of thousands of chemicals out there. But that's a, a job that we have to start on as soon as possible. So, Daryl, are, are you guys up on Capitol Hill visiting members of Congress? Are you trying to get new legislation drafted or um, I- introduced so that we know what products have some dangerous chemicals uh, in them? Are there specific things like that that are happening? Absolutely. There are things exactly like that. And, in fact, just uh, two weeks ago um, there was a hearing in the Senate, in the U.S. Senate, um, on the, the one bill which is uh, an attempt to fix this problem. It's called the Safe Chemicals Act, and it, and it was introduced by Senator Frank Lautenberg from New Jersey. Um, that's at the moment the the best uh, the best opportunity out there to to take action on this on this longstanding problem. Um, it's not going to require or it's not going to be enough for someone like myself sitting in, in the Washington D.C. Beltway to to go and chat yes. with congressmen. It's really necessary for folks all across the country to weigh in with their own representatives and senators and say, I care about this issue, and I expect you to care about it, too. Is there a place on the saferchemicals.org website where people can sign up to be educated and uh, become aware of the issues and maybe even be asked to call their member of Congress or act on certain issues? I mean, is that, is, is that a place where consumers, the average consumer, can do that? That's exactly the idea of the coalition, is to, to create a, a central place where people from all walks of life can engage to the extent that they, they want to. They can inform themselves um, to learn more about the issues, um, find links like the one that was mentioned before to the Skin Deep database and others, mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. tools that are helpful to the consumer, but also tools that are helpful to us as citizens and to have our voices heard. Um, I would also say there's an important role here for business to play, and uh, Mm -hmm. and that means chemical companies and other companies as well. Uh, The situation is not really advantageous to U.S. manufacturers either. It's not Mm -hmm. good to have a kind of second-rate regulatory system. Mm -hmm. And that's especially apparent now that the European Union, which is altogether larger than the U.S., half a a billion people, and has the world's largest chemical industry, they have been steadily trying to fix their own laws on chemicals, which which look like ours, at least they did. Um, And that process is underway, and and they're kind of like one-third of the way through a uh, a 10-year process. So are they doing better than we are in Europe? Well, absolutely. They're certainly trying harder. Um, They Mm -hmm. made it through the political process and could reach an agreement on a law, which 
so far Congress has been unable to do. And more importantly, the, the companies that make chemicals and, and, and uh, export chemicals to Europe, those companies are already stepping up to the plate um, and mm. providing the necessary information. So that's a great example that it's, it's mm. possible. And for any U.S. company that wants to do business in Europe, uh, it's not optional. They, they have to rise to this higher standard. And, Daryl, before we go to our break here, um, you know, what about in other parts of the world? So we've got these huge, you know, emerging markets in, in, in uh, Brazil and in India and in China. Obviously, a lot of headlines in the news about, you know, toxins in toys and other products from, from, from China. Uh, are these issues being taken, taken on globally, especially in some of these emerging markets? Yes, it's starting. Um, and I would say it's starting maybe for business reasons, maybe more mm-hmm. than political or or um, or even uh, kind of objective health uh, yes. uh, reasons or preventing cancer reasons um, China wants to sell to Europe and so yes. China is going to make sure that um, it has a, a means for their companies to get in the door there and do business there and so um, that means that they have to ensure that they're meeting certain safety standards that the European Union is requiring that's right. And, and in short, it means that they have to know what chemicals are in their products and what the basic characteristic of those chemicals, uh, what those characteristics are. Ironically, there are some um, uh, products in the U.S. that China will not even sell in China, and yet they can sell them to, to the United States. I think that's pretty astounding. Uh, most people wouldn't think of ourselves as taking a back, a back seat to China on product safety. But that, too, speaks to the weakness of our own system that we can't stop dangerous products at the border. And is that something also that's being taken up in Washington, D.C., to have greater protections around inspections and and what things that we will import into our country with regard to certain safety guidelines? Well, that's part of the proposal in the existing bill in Congress, um, to, to tighten up our standards both for what happens here and for the products that come into our ports and, and cross our borders. Um, but unless Congress can find the political will to tackle it, we will remain vulnerable. Now, it's such a really such a fascinating uh, issue. It sounds like there's still so much to be done, so much education uh, that needs to happen and so much action. Uh, that needs to happen to uh, uh, to address these issues. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking today about the connection between uh, chemicals and health, chemicals and cancer. Uh, we're talking about uh, a whole range of health issues, policy issues, advocacy issues. We're even getting into international trade, um, which might be the first time we're doing that on this show. So it really is a fascinating and very uh, a very broad uh, reaching issue. We're going to come back uh, for our final segment. We've got a few more questions uh, for our guests, and uh, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, 
The Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Throughout the episode today, we've been talking about the connection between cancer and toxic chemicals, many of which are found in common uh, household products, uh, everyday um, materials. We've heard from Dr. Solomon on the potential health risks. These chemicals cause the risk of cancer as well as uh, uh, we've heard about how government uh, regulation is, is uh, involved in this issue and what more needs to happen um, in order to improve regulation. Um, I, I want to uh, pull Marika back into the conversation here because um, uh, I do want to talk for a few minutes in this final segment about behavior change and about how we get educated and how we make changes today uh, to have a positive impact on our health. So, so Marika, I mean, when you think about it, you know, we, we don't know what causes so many cancers. Um, we perhaps don't know, or you perhaps don't know, what caused your uh, uh, breast cancer, and you, you know, kind of think to yourself, well, you know, the, the horse is out of the barn here. I've got cancer. What, what am I going to do now? Why am I going to go to all this effort to make these changes now? I already have the disease. What would you say to that question? Sure, and that's a very reasonable question. You know, to be honest, when you're going through cancer, you feel like the treatment that you're going through is your best defense, and that's and that's very true. The treatment is critical, um, but prevention even after you've had cancer, is equally important. I want to mention something that Gina referred to earlier, which is of great concern to people like myself and other breast cancer survivors. Gina mentioned that we're now finding that in addition to potentially, or in in addition to increasing your risk for breast cancer, the chemicals bisphenol A and parabens are actually now um, being linked to reducing the efficacy of the breast cancer drug tamoxifen. Some of your listeners are going to know tamoxifen yeah, because they're yeah. probably on it. Um, my my example is a good one. Tamoxifen is the single most important treatment that I will have done to prevent my recurrence because I'm estrogen receptor positive. My cancer is. Um, and, est- and tamoxifen is a drug that keeps estrogen and cancer from bonding together. Um, I went through four months of chemotherapy only to find that my tumor was the exact same size after doing four months of chemotherapy. So we know that tamoxifen absolutely needs to work for me in order for me to ensure that I'm not going to recur. Um, And to find out now that 
bisphenol A, BPA, and parabens may Mm. actually keep tamoxifen from working is of huge concern. So for somebody like myself, I will now do everything that I can to make sure that I'm not bringing parabens or BPA into my body needlessly. So I How do you do that, Marika? Give sure. our let, let's let's in these last few minutes, let's see if we can give our listeners some solid tips, some solid resources. How do I find out if the products I'm using have these chemicals in them? How do I avoid it? How do I get educated on the issue? Great, absolutely. Um, I want to direct you your listeners to uh, four different websites if I may. Um, All right folks, get your pens out here. <laughs> so Great, the first Marika. one, uh, breastcancerfund.org, that's the first place that I went to when I got diagnosed. They're going to share with you uh, very simple tips for prevention, how to eat healthy, how to um, use safe cosmetics, how to create a healthy home. Um, Great place to go for all your listeners. Um, The next one uh, is the the cosmeticsdatabase.org, which we mentioned earlier. Um, That's a very quick, easy place that you can, you know, put in what the product is. You'll find out how hazardous it is, and you'll find really good replacements for pretty much any product out there. There's great replacements for everything. Um, I also want to direct you to uh, saferchemicals.org, which Daryl mentioned. Um, If you're interested in sort of taking that next step and getting involved in the advocacy, which which I think is great and it's really important, go to saferchemicals.org and you'll learn a little bit more about what's going on um, with the cosmetic or or with the legislation that's in the Senate right now. Um, And then finally, I want to direct your listeners to notaguineapig.org. This is an online resource from Environmental Defense Fund that provides resources to learn more about the kinds of chemicals that do have health impacts and explains the chemical connection to a range of illnesses. Um, And they have a Chemicals of Concern series that's really interesting um, and really helpful. So those are four places that folks can go. They're all very easy to find and really easy to understand. Okay, so I'm going to go through them again. We've got breastcancerfund.org, cosmeticsdatabase.org, saferchemicals.org, and not a guinea pig.org. That's right. Um, if, if folks are taking notes. And, um, Daryl, so, so are there, let me ask you this quickly, are there chemicals that are safe, that are proven to be safe? I mean, do we have good chemicals that are, that are working to help us in society? Uh, well, yes. There's, I think maybe it's a question of comparative uh, safety. There's certainly safer chemicals out there, mm-hmm. and the rules of the game make it very hard for those guys to break into the marketplace. Mm-hmm. A chemical mm-hmm. like BPA is produced at the level of something like 6 billion pounds a year, enormous mm-hmm. volumes. And so the innovative company who has a better way to, say, package, bre- um, to package uh, uh, baby bottles or, or a different way to line the can, they have a very hard time breaking through competitively mm-hmm. because it's perfectly legal to keep using that, that chemical. So we're up against big business here. Well, we're... Right. Some, some, some maybe well-funded... Maybe I guess operations. I wouldn't. There definitely there are some resisting companies out there who Mm -hmm. like the system Mm -hmm. the way it is. But for every chemical company, there are a hundred or a thousand companies who make things out of their chemicals, and those folks have the in a way the same incentives that we have. They don't want to have toxic ingredients in their products. It's bad for sales. It's bad for their customers. Eventually, it's going to be a problem. And they too um, can be allies in calling for a system that's based on on safer ingredients from the get-go. So, uh, you know, I just want to um, quickly, Dr. Solomon, we're getting to the end of the show, a couple quick tips for our listeners. Is it doable to to, to make healthier choices? Is it doable, easy to to get some of these chemicals out of our lives uh, to lead us to better health? 
There's certain things that people can do in their daily lives, Mm -hmm. but I do want to echo um, the overall point that unless you have a PhD in chemistry in your own chemistry (laughs) lab in your kitchen to test all the chemicals and products you bring into your home, it's really tough to make sure um, you're uh, able to protect your family, mostly because of all of the um, trade secrets that allow ingredients to be hidden mm-hmm. and uh, the fact that many of these things have not been tested. So there's a, there is a need for broader policy change. But in the meantime, people can reduce their exposures through a few simple things. Uh, one, uh, you know, I feel like a, a, every other doctor saying uh, eat less fat. Um, but it turns out that fatty foods contain um, and, and accumulate many toxic chemicals at uh, much higher levels than other foods. So I always recommend uh, not eating a lot of meat and not eating a lot of high-fat dairy products for that reason. Mm-hmm. Organic foods are a good choice because you can avoid the pesticide residue. Mm-hmm. And avoiding canned foods, uh, choosing either fresh or frozen foods instead, uh, helps you avoid bisphenol A. Um, not uh, putting uh, fatty foods or acidic foods in contact with direct contact with plastic. Another good idea to prevent bleaching, and um, and then being careful what you uh, apply to your skin in the form of cosmetics and using that cosmetics uh, database to to keep an eye on on those products is another great good idea. Excellent. All great tips. I'm feeling good about the fact that I had salmon for lunch today. Uh, (laughs) Great choice. (laughs) I really want to thank our guests today, Dr. Gina Solomon, um, Rika Holmgren, and and Daryl Dietz. You've all provided great insight to the issues, and I urge our listeners to become your own advocate on these issues. Get educated, do the research, um, and find a way to make some changes that fit your lifestyle. Be aware of your surroundings and the health risks that that those might pose. Um, We'd like to dedicate the show to you today, Marika. You represent an amazing example of how someone can turn a difficult uh, diagnosis into something positive. Your drive to take the situation to make something great out of it and make a difference really inspires us. So so thank you for that. Um, uh, If you or someone you know has been diagnosed with cancer, visit us uh, at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. We've got 50 centers around the country for free support for you and your family. Thanks for joining us on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.